nation. A title for a people or ethnicity, like the Israelites. Nations does not refer to modern states, but to family divisions or subsets, like the ancient tribes of Israel. They were called nations. The terms nations, kindreds, tongues, and people have a family meaning. They specifically have the family of Israel, in its scattered condition, in mind. The gospel is intended primarily for one family of redeemed souls. Nation can also be defined in another way. Not all of God's words are in the Bible. God has spoken to every nation, meaning He has spoken to every religious body of people. For behold, the Lord doth grant unto all nations, of their own nation and tongue, to teach His word, yea, in wisdom, all that He seeth fit that they should have. Therefore, we see that the Lord doth counsel in His wisdom, according to that which is just and true. Alma 15, paragraph 13. Natural Roots Those fathers who still hold the rights under the original covenant, see Jacob 3, paragraph 23. New Earth When the stars move from one age to another by the precession through the equinoxes, the new constellation was said anciently to be a new earth. There is a different constellation that appears at sunrise on the vernal equinox, and that constellation tells you what age mankind is in. Pisces, Aquarius, etc. When that constellation changes from the previous constellation age, on the horizon at the vernal equinox, that's called a new earth. There will be a new heaven and a new earth when Christ returns. New Heaven when the pole star changes, which happens about seven times every 25,900 years, anciently that change was called a new heaven. Polaris represents a change to a new heaven. There will be a new heaven and a new earth when Christ returns. All of these are given, as Christ said in Genesis 2, paragraph 6, for signs, and for seasons, and everything testifies of him. New Jerusalem a city of peace to be built in the Americas to fulfill prophecy. It is foretold in both the Bible and Book of Mormon and is part of the Mormon belief about events that will precede the second coming of Christ. The location of the city is believed by most Mormons to be fixed in Independence, Missouri. From other revelations, biblical prophecies, and teachings of Joseph Smith there is reason to doubt that location. Zion, the New Jerusalem, and the Kingdom of God all relate to each other and will be developed and functioning in the last generation before the Lord returns. If this does not happen, the whole earth will be cursed. See TNC 151, paragraph 13. See also, 3 Nephi 10, paragraph 1, TNC 31, paragraph 14, and Genesis 4, paragraphs 22-23. There is a new and different meaning in Christ's Book of Mormon prophecy to the Nephites that has come about because of recent events. See 3 Nephi 10, paragraph 2. Previously, Christ's words seemed to foretell that the lost and scattered remnants would build the Lord's house in the New Jerusalem. Now it appears that there are covenant-receiving Gentiles who are included. Gentiles who repent and hearken to Christ's words and do not harden their hearts will be brought into covenant as His people. Christ mentions three distinct bodies. First, those who have accepted the covenant and are numbered among the remnant of Jacob to whom Christ gave this land for their inheritance. 
second, the lost descendants of the remnant of Jacob on this land who will repent and return. Third, as many from the house of Israel who will repent and return. These three will build a city that shall be called the New Jerusalem and will come to know God while gathering and laboring to build it. Then they will go out to assist all of God's people in their lost and forgotten state, to be awakened to the work of God and gathered as one body of believers. And all who have any of the blood of Abraham, who are scattered upon all the face of the land, will come to be taught in the New Jerusalem. There the power of heaven will come down to be among them. The angels and Enoch with his ten thousands will come down. The Ancient of Days, or Adam, the first father, and Christ, also, will be in the midst of his people. See 3 Nephi 10, paragraph 1. New Name The name of Jacob was given by man, his father. The name of Israel was given by God, his heavenly father. God giving someone a new name is a profound event. It signifies that person has a newness of life with him. Receiving a new name from God also marks entry into his family, for when God gives a name, he is adopting into his family. He names someone because they belong to him. Noble and Great There are two different groups that exist in this estate of mortality. One group is known as the Noble and Great, who are later identified as the gods. The second group is those who are the spirits organized before the world was who are to be proven by the experience here in mortality. The mission assigned to each group is distinct. One is proving, and the other is being proven. These two very different groups are both here in this world, living as mortals. For those who are being proven, this life is a probation. For the others, they are proving their fellow men. They are among those who have a calling to teach truth here. They are noble and great because they teach truth. They teach truth and know truth because they were of such a character before they came here that they had accepted, obeyed, and received the results of following truth. In a word, they were exalted before they were born here. Hence the need for the word Elohim to be plural. See Abraham 6, paragraph 1 and 7, paragraphs 1 to 3. However, there is a veil between this world and the pre-earth existence. The only way to know which group one belongs to is if someone on the other side of the veil reveals it. The risks of mortality are the same for all who are here. The way back is the same no matter which group one belongs to, and either can acquire their exaltation or fall from it, depending entirely upon the kind of life they live here. Only the Lord knows and can tell someone of his or her pre-earth status. If one learns of that, it will only be through revelation. Numbers, numbering, large. In the modern Hebrew Bible all numbers are written out in full, but for a long time the text was written without vowels. The absence of vowels made it possible to confuse two words which are crucial to this problem, lf and alof. Without vowel points, these words look identical, lp. lf is the ordinary word for a thousand, but it can also be used in a variety of other senses, for example, family, judges 3, paragraph 2. Clan or governor, Zechariah 1, paragraph 25 and 33 to 34. Or as a military unit. Aleph is used for the chieftains of Edom. Genesis 3, paragraphs 3 to 43. Probably for a commander of a military thousand. And almost certainly for the professional, fully armed soldier.
If LF of these passages carries its normal meaning of thousand, then many of the numbers appear extremely large. This difficulty has led many to discount the biblical numbers altogether or consider them to be intentional exaggerations. Though LF usually meant thousands, the word clearly could also mean a part of a tribe, perhaps best translated clan. Given that LF can mean clan and that Israelite soldiers may well have mustered and fought by clans, then LF might stand for the soldiers who mustered from a particular clan. If correct, this suggests that the Bible may often refer to the number of tribal units rather than total numbers of troops. Most of the large numbers that appear too large shrink down to a more believable but indefinite size if LF means clan or the unit of troops drawn from the clan. It is perhaps more likely that Saul mustered 330 units of soldiers to rescue Jabesh Gilead rather than 330,000 soldiers. Numbers in the Book of Mormon are also used as a means to determine rank. In modern language, a military man may be identified by the title of general and by the star on his uniform. In the Book of Mormon, a general would be identified by the title Captain of 10,000. It does not mean that he has 10,000 men under his command. A captain of 100 does not mean that he has 100 men under his command. A captain of 50 does not mean that he has 50. It means that he holds a rank. When the pioneer companies were organized, they were divided into captains of 100, captains of 50, and captains of 10. It was simply a way to identify a role, a rank, or a position. It was a way of dividing the people. So, when you get to the end of the Nephite Wars, with this and his 10,000 and that and his 10,000 and someone else and their 10,000 and they're all slain, it doesn't mean that you are reading about hundreds of thousands or millions who are dying. It means that someone in a position of rank and authority and all of those under his command were slain. What those numbers amounted to, we don't know. Oath and Covenant the oath and covenant is the Father's word that cannot be broken. It is not something one aspires to, but something that is accepted by following the conditions established by God. The Father is the one who can establish eternal covenants by His word because His word cannot be broken. CTNC 82, paragraph 17. Office A position in an organization not to be equated with the possession of priestly authority. Offices are created by people, and offices in the church are a matter of vote by the members, placing someone into a position, making offices of the church coincident with priesthood authority is another matter. Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery, for example, were elected to be the first and second elders of the church in 1830. The Melchizedek priesthood would not be restored until 1831 but they held the office of elder by virtue of the people accepting them by their vote. They could have elected them to be high priests or to any other office. Orson Hyde held the office of apostle, beginning in 1839, with, literally, no authority. Choose a title and have everyone vote. Now one holds an office. Olive Tree of all the material Jacob could have adopted as his prophecy, his selection of Zenus' allegory of the olive tree is telling. The account is a journey through various dispensations of the gospel, tracking a bloodline of chosen people. To Jacob's credit, he realized the work of salvation was devoted primarily to rescuing the descendants of a chosen line beginning with Abraham. 
The allegory is a family story. The use of the olive tree is a deliberate symbol of a family and of the tree whose value was beyond question in the culture from which the allegory sprung. To understand the story, it is necessary to settle on meanings. The tree is a family line belonging to the house of Israel, Jacob 3, paragraph 7. The work of the Lord of the vineyard and his fellow laborers is designed to cause the chosen family line to produce fruit worthy of preservation. The fruit is people, or more correctly, children raised in righteousness who comprehend and accept the gospel and abide by its teachings. See also, Fruit. One Eternal Round There is no beginning, and there is no end. It is one eternal round. This round of creation is only part of the cycle. We are part of endless cycles. Now, today matters a great deal. Therefore, what you do here matters, infinitely and eternally. Set aside doubts, and have faith. It is the only way to change your eternal destiny. We should all want to be baptized and to be cleansed from sin. But, the prototype of the saved man requires more. We may only receive limited grace in this life, but we must hold fast. We cannot receive more if we will not receive all that is offered us now. If we will receive what is offered now, we will be added upon forever and ever, Abraham 6, paragraph 2. In other words, we move up the ladder by our heed and diligence in this cycle of creation. As we do, we will have so much the advantage in the next cycle. Men and women can choose to move upward and be added upon, or they can choose to remain as they are, worlds without end. Now is part of eternity. Though mortal, all live in eternity and ought to take this opportunity seriously. The scriptures speak of things that happened before the foundation of the world or in the first place or from the foundation of the world. These statements make it clear that what went on prior to this creation matters and affects mankind now. In the same way, what one accepts in this life, by his heed and diligence, affects what comes after. The course all are on has been ordained by God and is one eternal round. Alma 5, Paragraph 5, Chapter 17, Paragraph 8, Joseph Smith History Part 10, Paragraph 2, TNC 18, Paragraph 1. Even if someone has proven himself before, he must prove himself again, now. God has been at this a long time. Christ has been involved in many repeated cycles of creation. Moses was told, And by the word of my power have I created them, who is my only begotten Son, who is full of grace and truth. And worlds without number have I created, and I also created them for my own purpose. And by the same I created them, who is my only begotten it is endless, and it is cyclical. For behold, there are many worlds that have passed away by the word of my power, and there are many that now stand and numberless are they unto man, but all things are numbered unto me, for they are mine and I know them. Genesis 1, Paragraph 6 This is God's great work. It has been going through cycles of creation, fall, redemption, judgment, and recreation forever. It is endless. Many unnumbered worlds have been, now are, and will yet be. The Lord told Moses just how vast this process is. These are many and they cannot be numbered unto man, but they are numbered unto me for they are mine. And as one earth shall pass away, and the heavens thereof, even so shall another come. And there is no end to my works, neither to my words. Genesis 1 verse 7 
This is a continual, endless cycle, worlds without end. Man falls into the cold realm of the temporal but is returned again to the spiritual. The process allows incremental development based on choices. When any cycle begins, man is spirit. When it is underway, man is temporal and physical. But when a cycle ends, man is spirit again. Humanity is nearing another turn of the wheel when wickedness ends. As modern revelation describes it, for the hour is nigh and the day is soon at hand when the earth will be ripe, and all the proud and they that do wickedly shall be as stubble, and I will burn them up, that wickedness shall not be upon the earth. For I will reveal myself from heaven with power and great glory, with all the hosts thereof, and dwell in righteousness with men on earth a thousand years, and the wicked shall not stand TNC 9, paragraph 3. Then, when the thousand years are ended and men again begin to deny their God, then will I spare the earth but for a little season, and the end shall come, and the heaven and the earth shall be consumed and pass away, and there shall be a new heaven and a new earth. TNC 9, paragraph 7. The cycle repeats, but nothing is lost. The old passes away, but everything is kept to be used again, both men and beasts, the fowls of the air and the fishes of the sea, and not one hair neither mote shall be lost, for it is the workmanship of my hand. TNC 9, Paragraph 7 Oracle A Prophetic Presence the revelations of God, which were given to mankind from Joseph Smith as the foundation, as the font from which all draw. But it was always intended that there should arise in you the power of obtaining oracles for yourself. The doctrines, commandments, revelations, and words of God are given as an oracle to guide mankind. The oracles are contained in the Book of Mormon, Lectures on Faith, and the revelations given by Joseph. Ordinance the ordinances are helps, symbols and requirements. Helps in that they establish milestones that memorialize passage from one stage of development to the next. Symbols in that they point to a deeper meaning or spiritual reality almost always grounded in the atonement of Jesus Christ. Requirements in that they mark the defined route taken by Christ as a mortal to fulfill all righteousness. The ordinances as symbols point to the real thing. The real thing is Jesus Christ and His Gospel. Ordinances are the preliminary act, designed to bear testimony of the real event. They are not the real thing but are a type of the real thing. They must be seen through the eyes of faith to allow one to gain the faith necessary to obtain the real thing. See Ether 5, Paragraph 3 Ordinances are instituted to bring one to the point where one inherits in body and spirit the great blessings of the doctrine of Christ. They prepare you. Their effect is to qualify you, instruct you, advance you toward this goal of receiving the blessings found in the doctrine of Christ. Once ordinances have been adopted, it is then unlikely you can ignore them, and then receive what is promised by the doctrine of Christ. Ordinances instituted in the heavens before the foundation of the world, in the priesthood, for the salvation of men, are not to be altered or changed. When the higher priesthood is present on the earth, everything done by it is an ordinance. God ordains by His power what is to happen. God ordains, and therefore, all He does is an ordinance, whether building up or taking down. Latter-day Saints think ordinances are required for everyone, and they can receive them ad hoc to be saved. 
Heaven does not have unorganized crowds milling about, arriving fresh from receiving and accepting vicarious ordinances and claiming the right to be rewarded by entering celestial glory. If anyone enters the kingdom of God, she will be there as part of God's family, not as a freelance believer. Those faithful who received the assurance before death that they would one day enjoy a glorious resurrection were unable to leave the spirit world with Christ, but remained behind to minister to others there. Mankind knows almost nothing, at this point, of the full scope of the original body of teachings, revelations, ordinances, and rites. Even all that came through Joseph is but a glimpse. Man is not worthy of the full view. The question is whether any will become meek and humble enough to endure giving it a hearing before they corrupt it with a flood of errors based on unbelief.